Apple presents Meet the Authors. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, co-author Gavin Edwards, and the co-authors of VJ, The Unplugged Adventures of MTV's First Wave, available now on the iBook Store, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and Martha Quinn. I'm really happy to be here with the four most excellent VJs. Uh, let's talk about how it all got started. Martha, how did you become a VJ? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, she doesn't have an answer for that. <laughs> Anybody here go to NYU? No? So close? No NYU students? Okay, well, I, I, as a senior at NYU, I was an intern at WNBC Radio. And I had done television commercials throughout college and also worked on the college radio station, which, um, unbeknownst to me, turned out to be the perfect training from TV. But I stopped by um, the WNBC offices one day, summer 1981, and somebody looked at me and said, hey, Martha, you know what you should do? You should do this project that Bob Pittman is doing. It's MTV. It's like being on the radio, but it's on television. But if you rewind back to then, there really was no videos. The only videos were, remember, I don't know how old you are, but um, Don Kirshner's rock concert. They would say, okay, tonight, Fog Hat, uh, James Taylor, and Paul McCartney. And you'd wait till 12.50 for Paul McCartney. And they'd play like a film. And you'd be like, what? Paul McCartney's not actually there. So I was like, videos? Nah, I'm not going to do that. And my friend Buzz Brindle said, no, you should definitely go down there. He called Bob Pittman and uh, said, go down there right now. He says they're closing up shop at 5 o'clock. So I hailed a cab, went down there in a tennis skirt and a T-shirt that my college roommate, who's from Nashville, gave me. It was a glitter iron-on T-shirt, and it said, Country music is in my blood. And that is what I auditioned for MTV in. And somehow they offered me the job two days later. Now, Alan, you were actually in one of the first videos even before you were on MTV, right? In the, one of the world's first videos, as a matter of fact. I, I, was, uh, I knew what videos were. You were in the Beatles, were. I was the only one who had the night. credentials to be a VJ because I was in a video. I was uh, working with David Bowie. He and I personally, of course, working together at the Mud Club. Anybody know where the Mud Club used to be? Yeah. Yeah, so I got to be in a David Bowie video called Fashion. We are the Goon Squad, and we're coming to town. Beep, beep. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Let's do that together, shall we? No, I was trying to be an actor beep, beep. in New York, and I was, um, I was bartending. I'd just gotten through doing a new wave punk rock version of Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream at the East 4th Street Theater. I was playing a, a Spirit of the Forest, kind of a dancer. And uh, I got a call to come and audition for this thing called music television. I had no idea, except I knew that it was videos. I had no expertise being a radio jock or talking about music. And I came and in three weeks did three really miserable auditions, the kind of auditions where I wasn't sweating, I wasn't really nervous. Kind of like Martha, I didn't really know what I was getting into. But I was, I was talking and being extemporaneous, and I could see the producers with their headsets going, yeah, this guy's a loser. <laughs> It's not going to happen. But the loser kept coming back three times. And, and they, I guess, were coming down to about three weeks before MTV started, August the 1st. And they just said, we have we got to pick somebody. Let's pick the, let's pick the Anglo guy. Let's pick, pick the blonde white guy. We've got everybody else. When there you were you doing that Bowie video, yeah. 
you, I remember, and you guys, there's no way you're going to remember Alan in there because he has one full-on headshot. I have shot, a lot of good But duh. he's yeah. got a giant fake <laughs> nose on <laughs> and a, like a top hat, it looked yes. like, right? Sort of like yeah. the penguin. Yes. We were in character. Right? We were wearing masks at the mud club outside. Then and I was a dancer with striped shirt on. Your character was a penguin? Uh, I don't know what it was. It was, an, it was another worldly character. But we had us doing, we were goon squad people. That's that was it. We were. I was going to ask you. What, we were a goon squad. What was like, did, did you ever get to talk to Bowie? And he went, yeah. okay, you're the, like, you're the goon squad. Like, you'll be wearing like, like a top hat and like a nose. Yeah, he pretty much micromanaged the video shoot that way. <laughs> he, he, he talked to each of us individually. We did weird modern dances at another club uptown, and we, and we were supposed to do these. It was six of us who were the principal dancers, and I got the job. And the other people were all real dancers, so they knew how to do modern dance and do silly moves. I, 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 my move was the statue. <laughs> I decided to be still. But he was over on the side watching the whole thing, and I strolled on, on over to, to meet him, and he said, uh, nice job mate and i was like david bowie said nice job so 50 bucks a day three days 150 bucks there you go Score. it was a and good a place in rock history and a place in rock history now mark everyone remembers live aid but you were at the us festival as well can you tell us a little bit about that? uh the us festival yeah 1983 so live aid was 85 this was 83 and i don't know if the, if the people who are here i'm assuming watched mtv when we were on is that right okay so that means that there, there's a possibility that you actually saw some of the stuff. Well, it, was, it was one of the first events that we covered where we were doing live shots from the location. So they sent me out to do that. And it was uh, three days of sheer insanity. Uh, U2 was there, The Clash was there, and everybody was pissed off at them because they were acting obnoxious because they weren't getting enough money. And Bono uh, was, was there being really pissed off at them and told me in an interview, Mark, we're not here. We're not going to hide behind our haircuts. You know, they were, Clash was like an hour late going on stage and pissed everybody off because it was running like clockwork. And, uh, and U2 was all about being cooperative and playing. They did an amazing set. Van Halen, uh, you can see my Van Halen interview. And, and Gavin actually brought in into the book a little bit of that Van Halen interview from their compound. They paid it, were paid a million dollars to play. They spent it all on... Food and drink and this trailer behind uh, the stage at Live Aid. It was. It I think was some crazy. of it went to other things in the trailer. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, food and drink and other things in the trailer. And I asked, it was because the Us Festival was supposed to be all about community, and we're all here. We're, it's us. We're us. We're listening to music, us. And there's Van Halen, like behind their, their entire compound, fenced in. And I asked Dave. What, what about this? You know, it's supposed to be communal and we're all supposed to be together grooving to the music. And he said, what about the fence keeping people out? And he goes, oh, no, no. We put that fence up to keep people in. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a fun weekend, to say the least. Let's talk a little bit about uh, clothes and hair and makeup. Uh, anyone remember a particular favorite or off-the-wall thing you had to wear on MTV? I want to know where everybody's Michael Jackson jackets are. We got those... Jackets that he wore in, what was it, Thriller, I guess? The red, that red jacket with those three awesome. zipper things? It was, uh, beat was it, it Thriller beat or Beat It? Beat it. Beat I think it, it was Beat It. Was beat it. Yeah. 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 yeah it was so beat we it. all got them. Do you still have yours? Yes, of course. I'm the keeper of the memorabilia. Like he's, yeah. Have you seen that show, Hoarders? <laughs> <laughs> one do you, day. Do you guys, you one day I'm selling yours, that stuff for I, big cash. Go ahead, Mark. 
No, you don't. I, I'm so depressed. Even when I hear the song "Beat It," that's all I can think about is what did I do with that jacket? No so idea. that they understand, what, the guy who made the guy who made Michael's jacket presented us at the studio with five extra copies. You say you didn't get one, but he gave every one of us a jacket. I would was have a it if I Michael. did. Right. <laughs> and, and JJ wore it on the air. Yeah. <laughs> who remembers JJ? Thank you, God bless JJ. There you go. Amen. Nina, why don't you tell us a little bit about JJ? About JJ? Uh, JJ was uh, one of the kindest, warmest human beings I ever met. Uh, just a lovable guy, would always greet us with uh, a big hug, and the girls, of course, a big kiss with, uh, as one of his former co-workers called his pillow lips, because they were so soft. And... Um, he was basically our elder statesman. And, um, uh, you know, you guys will have more stories, but uh, the first uh, incident that I had with JJ, we were both put up in the Berkshire Hotel. We both came from L.A., and at that time, we kind of missed L.A. We were like, okay, we're in New York, but, you know, look at... I had an MG I left at home, and he had his Jensen... It's actually Interceptor, but he always pronounced it Intercepta. And so we'd always be talking about our sports cars. But this one night, uh, we uh, were given tickets to go see Judas Priest. And the seats were right by the speakers. And you can't sit in front of the speakers of Judas Priest. So we lasted about two minutes, and uh, we went out to have a fine dinner and uh that was when i bonded with jj and uh you know we all we all have really special stories about jj so uh, martha martha you want to talk about him walking his dog well i guess the um i'm trying to think i can t first of all can you guys totally feel picture those nina can you totally picture those <laughs> those lips like can you feel that hug, oh, yeah. that jj hug absolutely i can pillow, totally pillow feel lip. that jj yeah. hug just while you were saying that and not i was lascivious. kind of mesmerized thinking about it and it, it, it was in a lascivious way and you know i never felt like oh he's kissing you know just right. was so full of love he right. really was and then uh, one of the the things that we always loved is when he laughed because he had the best belly laugh uh, that you would ever hear. And then he'd get so wound up, he'd start, his tears would be. Alan could get him wound up like nobody's business, and tears would be just rolling down his, like the, uh, uh, when you put the uh, sweatband around your head, like, I'm a... No, we would, I would like to hear a little of that. Come oh, on, no come sense. on. Oh, now he's all, oh, we, we only suddenly got so, so quiet. <laughs> da, na, 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 na. Just move it on here, move it on. We love J.J., he was a great guy. and we, he, he died in 2004, and uh, he was all over this book. He was, you know, he was just, in your spirit, in your heart, I'm sure, writing it. Came down to you in the middle of the night. <laughs> you say that and you're dead. He was a good man. One good thing man. I think is super important about JJ is that JJ walked through the door already 
kind of a legend in rock and roll as being somebody who Led Zeppelin always credited with helping launch them in the United States when he was a DJ up at WBCN. He was on stage with Led Zeppelin up there. He, he, he was on stage with Jimi Hendrix in Boston. Um, so he had a lot of rock and roll credibility, something especially Led Zeppelin never forgot. Because I think people overlook that. They just go JJ Jackson, MTV VJ, but JJ was also a rock and roll heavyweight. Alan, why don't you tell us about uh, when you went out on the road and introduced some bands? So, you know, we'd get the calls from the producer to go out and introduce a show, and if it was around town, that was pretty easy. Sometimes they'd fly us out to when we were sponsoring the police or something, and we'd intro. But the police at, you know, JFK in Philadelphia, 75,000 people, you run on stage, hello, Philadelphia, oh, it's like really easy, you know? Yeah, yeah, apples and oranges, yeah, boogers in my nose, no one heard anything. <laughs> yeah, police! So that was a rush, but I go down to the Ritz to introduce Los Lobos, right? We played Los Lobos a lot, but they were, you know, kind of a cult band at the time. So I go down to the Ritz late at night, they get on about 11, 30, 12, and the crowd seemed a little edgy to me, definitely kind of alternative, but I didn't, I didn't think unfriendly. So the guy goes out, hey, welcome to the Ritz, yeah, yeah, all right, everybody. And now from MTV, boo! Uh, Alan Hunter, boo, even more! <laughs> you know, like, and so I was like, man, I mean, and they swelled as I ran on stage. I knew I wasn't going to be fucking around at that point. In other words, I, I was going to get to business, but I, I was like uh, 50 feet, and they just, guys up front, spittle off their face. You, we hate you. We hate MTV. Get off the stage, you know? And I was like, hello, everybody. This is Los Lobos. <laughs> and I ran off. <laughs> And I because came back. there was that period of time where there was that MTV it was backlash. Years. It was four years into it, and MTV had become this commercial, you know, colossus, and, and the alternative crowd didn't like us. And I came back to them and said, guys, there's a, there's a faction out there that don't like us, so just beware. You know, if we're doing an alternative band, especially in New York City, you might get your, you might get your ass kicked. So that was, my, that was the last time I really wanted to intro a band. <laughs> Mark, would you like to tell the story of a memorable haircut? <laughs> oh God! Uh, he's like the organ grinder, and we're the monkeys right now, right? Whatever. That was a good story, though. It was ridiculous to me that I was working at a rock and roll station, and they were telling me like I was in freaking junior high, "You need a haircut." They they actually wanted me to cut my hair. Now, admittedly, it was big. Some hair to cut. I, I had some hair there. It was big and curly. Whatever. That was I think who I it was, was referred to as a satellite today. <laughs> I like to call it the Jufro. That's the way and I. It, and like it had it. its time, Mark. Uh, what apparently though there was a problem. Bob Pittman, the guy who, who basically is credited with founding MTV, didn't like it, and they wanted me to get it cut. And I was fighting and fighting like a junior high school kid would with his principal. And um, ultimately, what wound up happening was they said, if you, whoever you want to cut your hair, you can go there and get it cut, and, and we'll, you know, we'll pay for it. So I happened to be, at that time, sort of hanging around with Ian Hunter. And he has hair like mine, curly. In real life, it's curly, and it was long. And who cut his hair but Jose Ebert? I don't know if you guys have heard of Jose Ebert. He's in L.A. He's very, he wears that cowboy hat constantly. He's known for cutting, like... Farah, the Farah cut was his, and Cher, and you know, all these people. And he was in LA. So they had to fly me first class to LA 
to get my hair cut by this guy because that's what I had asked for. And on top of that, the day I was supposed to leave, I lost my wallet and my license, so I couldn't rent a car. So now it becomes, I said to, to one of the VPs who was forcing me to go, uh, I can't go, I, I lost my license, I can't rent a car, I'm sorry. He goes, no, no, Pittman will kill me, you, you gotta go, you're going. So they flew me out first class, they put me up at the Beverly Hills Hotel, the legendary hotel, they got me a limo, which picked me up at the hotel, took me to Jose Bear, where he sat for seven hours while I agonized over this haircut, and we didn't have the cell phones to take pictures. I was like on the phone, so it looks like this, and the curls are kind of hitting here, and this, and I'm doing that, and and the, the limo's outside waiting, and literally to, towards the end of it, Cher comes in, and. I, I was like, wow, Cher, what do you think? It's my haircut from Jose Bear. She goes, I don't give a fuck. It's my appointment. <laughs> she literally was like, get out. I was pretty much done by that point. But we did take the limo, and I, I was also friendly with Cameron Crowe, and uh, went out with, with Cameron and a bunch of people in the limo. It was a... Uh, what the best the haircut I ever got. For how much? What was the total? It was probably a good 10 grand. Good That's grand. about what I settled on. To give you a perspective, we, they wouldn't give us like craft service in the dressing room, you know, or green room. They, they, would, they were so cheap with everything, and, and they'd they, blow well, 10 grand. 500 bucks for our clothing allowance. $500. Yeah, they were penny wise and pound foolish, for sure. All right, let's open it up and see if we've got any questions from the crowd. Hi there. Uh, what are some of your uh, favorite contests? Favorite contests? Contests. I think um, the one that was the most successful was John Mellencamp's uh, Paint, Paint the, the Mother Pink. Pink. And uh, Mark, you know the story of it a, a little bit better than I, I do, but it was on a, a toxic waste dump or something. Well, I mean, there was many components to the Paint the Mother Pink. It was a huge contest. We're going to give away a a house to the winner. I went out in about Bloomington. It, uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, his home area. And John I, Cougar. John Cougar at the time. I went out to uh, do some pre-interviews the week before. BD, were you on this shoot? Holy crap. One of our producers from MTV back then. So we're wandering the town, doing color pieces, you know, for the piece, interviewing people in town, and we were just hitting a sort of a dry spell one afternoon, and we didn't have anybody to interview. So there was two horses out grazing in a pasture behind someone's house, so we, I decided to go over, let's go interview the horse, for God's sakes. We were all, maybe we were drunk, I don't know. So I started interviewing the horses, and they started making love. <laughs> and a little lady came out the back of her house like she was shooing two dogs to get, you know, stop doing that and shooting water at them. But I think that sort of aired, it, it, not, the, not the actual, you know, <laughs> the pre and the post and the cigarette smoking, that aired. But so anyway, they gave away the house. You did some uh, stuff out there. Just, just you went out there to do the giveaway, right? That moment, that moment that you just described, might have been a very pivotal moment in the history of MTV. <laughs> when I'm dead serious, when they saw ah, there's entertainment yeah. value in the Stupid world stuff. outside of music videos. Maybe Let's Al, look yeah. at that. Yeah, and that Al might have led to a muck in America, which ultimately. Yeah led to you know the influx of reality television there but it go. could all go back wow. to those, those horses. copulating horses horny horses horny horses humping <laughs> led to snooky oh my gosh getting some snooky getting some snooky that was the phrase so but you they gave away the house 
to the winner. And yay, what a big thing. And then the house turned out to be, and I can't remember how they discovered. And the Love Canal it was on a radon Indiana. Dump. You know, big contest, and it was a poisonous site. And they had to tear the house down and give the person. Mellencamp, wasn't he furious or something that he threatened lawsuits? It was a debacle for MTV. Yeah, so there's a lot of contests. I mean, we had, he went to Asia for Asia, and then there was the Van Halen contest and the Loverboy and Zippy the Chimp. You went to Asia for Asia. You went to Moscow. I went to Mount Clemens, Michigan, and I am darn <laughs> proud of it. There you I go. I remember that. That was the very first MTV concert. What was the, the name? Oh, it was You Win an MTV Party. At your at house. Your house right. So we came with big video monitors, and Huey Lewis was there. But this was before the sports album. And so Huey was just kind of up and coming. And it was me and JJ and Rob Kettenberg oh. from Mount that was the Lemons, name. Michigan. Did, and didn't you do promos with the Bangles? Or the Bangles did something like, hey, we, they, they were talking about. I can't about imagine that the Bangles were around at that time. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. Because this was 1981. Maybe it was a later winner. Yeah, then. yeah. Go-Go's, maybe? Wow. They were doing, we did so. these promos about, you know, people really win on MTV. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Brian, that was, when was we it started. the Bangles? Was it the Go-Go's? He didn't know. Prince, maybe. Oh. That's true. And I also went to Sheridan, Wyoming. Boy, I <laughs> But I do have, I went, Brian Diamond is one of the uh, original MTV producers. He is one of the people who put us on the map. He is in the book. Yeah. In and he's the working, book? He's working Chippendales in Tribeca. <laughs> Life of an MTV producer. But we went to uh, Sheridan, Wyoming, and this was, my, this was my interaction with Prince. And I was thinking, I'm kind of perfect for Prince because I'm kind of petite. I'm kind of perfect. Another person that you had a crush on? Yeah, really. I'm kind of perfect for him. Stand in line, Prince. And Just he so you know, up. for when you read the book, every interview that Martha ever did, or that any of us ever did for that matter, she had a crush on the rock yeah. star. Except Lita Ford. Well, excuse me, but I was very young at the time. Yes, still are. Yes. So uh, anyway, so Prince comes up to me and he says, and I've been thinking about this recently, he comes up to me and goes, you look tired. That was it. You look tired. And I was thinking about that, and you know how somebody comes up to you and goes, oh, did you feel okay? You don't seem like you feel okay. And you're like, oh, I, God, I kind of thought I was like rocking right now. Oh, cheer up. You seem like you're cranky. Oh, really? Oh, no, I'm kind of bummed out. You know, so like when he goes, you look tired, it's like, I was thinking about that recently and going, oh, geez, that's not exactly a compliment. If I'd only been dressed like Vanity, I might be Mrs. Prince right now. You might be. Yeah, yeah. except there's kids. Those ever-present kids. You could kids. have been his screwdriver. I'm your Do we... driver. Any more questions? My screw. Okay. Yes, save us. Who was your most memorable interview, artist or you know, group, and why, each one of you guys. I'm, I'm a big, I was a big MTV fan, yeah. but you well, guys were awesome. Yeah. For me, those horses in Bloomington <laughs> just wasn't ever aired. Um, I love Billy Joel. At the end of my tenure there, I got to go to Russia to interview Billy Joel in, a, in an in-depth and long interview. He was a little bit hungover or had a fight with Christy, I don't know which, but he had really huge bags under his eyes, so he had to wear his sunglasses. But... It was great. It was a great way to cap off my kind of career there with someone who I really loved, and um, and uh, it was fun. It was, it was good. Billy in Russia. Uh, so many, Mark. So many. 
There are, yeah, I mean, they, they say you don't want to meet your heroes, but I did get to meet a lot of mine, and mostly it worked out okay. I, um, I guess Springsteen, I loved interviewing Springsteen because he meant so much to me as, a, as an artist, and he was so eloquent and understated and just had a body of work that I, I just was a part, such a part of my life that I was really excited to, to talk to him about it. The other end of the spectrum is David Lee Roth, who was a complete freaking lunatic, <laughs> but was so much fun to talk to that it was like, you know, you have the little cards with your questions. Yeah, screw these. <laughs> when we started MTV, the number one song, August 1st, 1981. Rick Springfield. Exactly. So um, uh, when Rick, I asked Rick not that long ago, what was your first memory of MTV? And he said, well, actually, you, Martha, because somehow, at that time, we had to beg artists to come down to 10th Avenue and 33rd Street and do this cable interview, and nobody wanted to. And somehow, the MTV execs got Rick Springfield to come down, and he said he walked through the door and saw me sitting there, and he was like, Oh my God, it's a kid. <laughs> so, but that was memorable for me because my God, he was Rick Springfield, hello. And then you also wanted to be Mrs. Okay. Rick Springfield. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of uh, something that was so cute that Martha and I did one day. Remember, we had the oh, chalkboard. Yeah, we, we had. Uh, a list that we made on a blackboard we actually had. Uh, our top 10 favorite crushes that we had. And the scary thing is, the only one that we agreed on was Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> we, we had a crush, both of us had a crush on Pee Wee Herman. Okay, I had like okay. Ray Davies and like, you know, I don't even remember who, like, oh, Jim Kerr, you had uh, David Lee Roth, of course. And I'm sure I would have had Corey and Hart. Corey Hart. And then we have Pee Wee. We, we both love Pee Wee. These, so. rock, these rock chicks are not smart. <laughs> we thought he was intellectual. Wait, Pee Wee Herman? Yeah, when he wasn't Pee Wee, when he was Paul Rubin. Oh, when he was Rubin. Paul Rubin. And actually, Brian who's standing over there is my first introduction to Pee Wee because he used to go, he used to do the Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> I'm embarrassing him, but he deserves Suck it. it man. Yeah. So Nina, who is your favorite? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Nina, who was your favorite interview? I would say, and, and the answer changes all the time, but somebody that I really uh, loved so much, um, I love Chrissy Hine. She's a good old Ohio girl. I grew up in uh, Cleveland. She, of course, grew up in Akron. Straight ahead rock and roller. Uh, you know, no BS. Just, you know, she'll tell you what she thinks of you. Uh, and also, um, you know, great animal activist. So she, she's definitely a woman after my, my own heart. All right, any more questions? When did you guys realize that um, from this little cable show, when was the turning point that you all realized that, wow, this was something much bigger when it kind of, like, I'm sure when you first got the job, you probably thought, well, you know, this is just a job and a gig, and then soon it turned into something much bigger. What, what was that like? Yeah, I so didn't know how big it was going to turn out or if it was going to last that I kept my job as a bartender on 57th and 6th at the Magic Pan for about a month and a half. 
keeping my nighttime job while the daytime job, you know, kind of did its thing. So it was very weird. Uh, I don't know. We all have uh, different opinions maybe as to when that aha moment came. The, you know, the biggest one was when Mark Knopfler and Dire Straits did Money for Nothing. We kind of knew that MTV had arrived before that because in the media and in, in all forms of entertainment, they started using the letters MTV as a generic you know, qualifier, MTV-like, MTV-like commercial, MTV-like movie, or it had a, a style of MTV, so they started using it as a gen generic term, and we thought, wow, it's, it's probably here. Certainly, our, our money, our, our, the money that we made being VJs, in no way correlated to the, uh, the success of the channel. <laughs> that, that wasn't our indicator. What do you think the seminal moments were? When was that sort of aha? We looked in the mirror at each other at times, about two years into it and said, we think this thing's gonna, gonna catch on. Probably had something to do with some of our trips to see people in middle America, you know? Wasn't on it, man. I'll just keep talking until one of you chime in, so hold up those mics. Um, <clears throat> For me, I guess it's when we came into Manhattan. I mean, yeah. I don't know, you know, and we could finally see what we were working on. I mean, it, when we first started MTV, it wasn't in Manhattan. So I used to kind of say it's like spitting off the top of a building, yet you never see it land. So when it, it finally came to Manhattan, we were all entranced by it. And I remember having my car waiting downstairs to take me to MTV, and I would keep it waiting, so I'd be like, okay, one more video. Okay, just one more video. And I kind of got to see for myself, wow, this is pretty cool. I think we have time for one more. Yes, what was it like on the uh, Monkey's Christmas video shoot with all four of them? <laughs> well, uh, well, you can talk about that, but I also... I remember that. Did that happen? Yeah. Christmas. It was yeah. so good. You know, you, I don't know if... I have no memory of that. I, 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 I don't either. Yeah, were we there? Monkey, were you, you there? Sure I don't Christmas know. Video? What? Yeah. Dressed as I Santa don't Claus. know I, I don't Nina, think so, I don't because think Mike wasn't even... Um, in when they had the reunion, I was no. I was definitely in it, and Julie Brown was in it as well. So I uh, I was gone from the, and, and so I, I look know. at that video, and it's really interesting to me because I was wearing I can't imagine what I was thinking. <laughs> I was wearing these red like sweatpant material overalls, and I had my hair in like this weird ponytail, and of course my hair was sticking out everywhere, and Julie Brown looked like she just stepped out of a, you know, an expose video, and I was like, oh man, I should have done my hair. <laughs> I believe they were overall shorts. Wow. Yeah, they were like, yeah, they came to like, they were like overall knickers. It was very, wow. yeah. <laughs> Would you like to talk about your favorite Christmas song, though? If I had to go back to one day of the whole MTV career, I would go back to the day we shot the Billy Squire video, Christmas is the Time to Say I Love You. Yeah. Because to me, you watch that and just love pops out of the screen. Love of what we were doing. We and were passionate other. rebels with a Anybody cause. Remember love for seeing each that video? other. Christmas people. is the time, time to, to celebrate. And it was so cute. We, uh, uh, and it was a nice moment for Martha and I because they had this script of everything laid out and they had the stage directions for Martha. When Billy walked in the studio to look at each other and wink, <laughs> remember we were like, oh. <laughs> I, 
I read recently that Billy Squire like came up with that whole. He said he did, but I don't. I don't know. I thought it was before he even got into the studio. But he oh. he was quoted as saying that, that nobody his... knew what they were doing at MTV, so he True. directed it. Well, he certainly had some videos that he got some crap for. So later. But on. that wasn't one of them. Well, that tonight, the other yeah. was his own doing. Right. Right. Ladies Great. and gentlemen, the MTV VJs. Wow. Hey, thank you for being here. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. And if you get the book, I hope you like it. Thanks.